Welcome to Sports Beat KC. I am Blair Kirkhoff. I'm here today with producer engineer Chris Fickett and the newest member of the Kansas City Star staff. We are thrilled to welcome him into the uh, into the sports department and to the Kansas City Star family, Jesse Newell. Jesse, how you doing, man? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Blair. And I know there's big shoes on this podcast to fill because I just listened to Therese's great podcast on the way here. So I know there are there's a high expectation here. Well, let's let's establish this right off the bat. We are not going to reach that bar because Therese, <laughs> Therese sets the highest of standards when it comes to the podcasts, and uh, and and I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, participating on the panel with Therese during the during the Chiefs season. But we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit. Uh, we're gonna talk some KU basketball, some Big Twelve basketball. The Jayhawks have Kansas State coming up this weekend. Uh, the first place Jayhawks, that is. And uh, but before we get into that. Jesse, you're two or three days on the job here at, at the Star. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, about yourself, your background, uh, where you went to school, what you did before this. I think every everybody who follows Kansas sports knows that uh, we hired you from the Topeka Capital Journal. Uh, how long were you there, and and how, what led up to that? Yeah, I've been following KU sports around a while now. Uh, before the Topeka Capital Journal, I was there for two years as the KU beat reporter. Before that was five years with uh, KUSports.com, the Lawrence Journal World, uh, serving as their KUSports.com online editor, doing blogs and things like that. But originally from Emporia, which is where Sam's from on certain days, but not certain <laughs> other days when he claims Lawrence. Uh, so grew up, you know, reading the star and, and going to the library in high school and checking out, you know, Jason Whitlock, Joe Poznanski, and I don't want to make you feel old, Blair, but you might have been part of those papers as well Yikes. back in the day, I know. But I, again, a, a paper I've always followed and read growing up, and I think most writers around my age are all influenced by Joe Poznanski as well and, and kind of the style he wrote with and the stories that he could tell. But like I said, been around this area. I've only lived in Emporia and Lawrence my whole life, so I've been around this area, know this area pretty well, and been around the program a lot. So uh, definitely, hopefully, can hit the ground running and, and know what's going on with this KU program. All right, so Emporia, that's uh, if, if you're interested in journalism and college basketball, they've got a pretty good combination of uh, native sons there, right? <laughs> uh, William Allen White. I don't know if he was he an Emporia native. I know he grew up in the Emporia Gazette and yeah, everything. Absolutely. Famous, famous journalist of the early part of the 20th century, and of course, the birthplace of Dean Smith. So also Clint Boyer, and the hostess Twinkie, as I recall, is uh, is uh, pr- produced there. So Emporia, home to many, many great people and things. You went to KU. When, when did you go to Kansas? Uh, if I can think back that long. Yeah, 2002 to 2006. So um, right around the early 2000s, been out about 10 years now. And again, around the program then, I'll still remember I, I was there with the Kansan and just kind of showed up when Bill Self was hired. So that's kind of, if that dates me and, and kind of does that, f- lets you know how far, far back it's been. I feel like every time I go to campus, it's been a little bit further. I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> right. can deal with the same thing, Blair, where, you know, you, in your mind, you kind of feel, oh, hey, I'm, I'm kind of still like a college kid. You know, I can hang out, I can be cool. And then you get there and you're like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not a college kid Absolutely anymore. Not. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm a little no, bit no. older than that. So you were the end of Roy Williams, beginning of Bill Self, yep. the the end of the Terry Allen era, uh, the beginning of the Mark Mangino yes. era for for football. Um, let's see, '06. That uh, I believe that was the the Bradley loss year. Um, yeah, it was. If if I remember right, well, Bucknell in '05, Bradley in '05, '06. Yep. Yeah. Exactly, and when one of those years, you know, K was basically number one, almost wire to wire, and then had yeah. the disappointment late. So. 
yeah, a very interesting mix up there. And then, like you said, the beginning of the Mangino era, which it's hard to believe was not as bad as this last year for KU football. But I remember a rainy K-State game early on, the first time that Bill Snyder faced Mark Mangino. And by about the third quarter, you know, it was about one row of, of Kansas fans and the rest were all purple and it was about 58 nothing. So uh, there were some tough times before there were good times for KU football. And I'm sure a bunch of fans out there are hoping the same thing happens. Yeah, we'll, we'll, there'll be plenty of time to talk uh, KU football uh, and, and Big 12 and college football along the way. But uh, just, just a quick thought, the, the, um, you know, Dave Beatty just finished his recruiting, uh, as, as did everybody else in Division One college football. And there's some hope that uh, that things are going to turn around. For Mangino, it took him, I, I want to say, in his second year, he was uh, bowl eligible. Or was it his third? I, one of those, he had Bill Whittemore as the quarterback, I remember. And, uh, and, and Second year, they went to, they Tangent, got Tangent beat Greenville. by Phillip Rivers right, and That's uh, right, NC State. Phillip Rivers yeah. and NC State down he in He only Orlando. threw for like 460, so it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> but it was an incredible turnaround. But but my point is, I think Kansas has much farther to go now in football than it did then. Uh, it, you know, Terry Allen was fired, of course, but he didn't leave the cupboard bare the way it seems to be pretty barren at this point. Yeah, and it was basically two coaches' work that kind of put KU in a hole, you know, starting with, with Turner Gill and some of the problems they had with the program, whether it was academically or just uh, players not buying in and not doing the things they were supposed to do, and then Charlie Wise came in with a little bit more discipline and, and things were a little bit sorted out more academically. But obviously the Juco gamble that he took burned KU big time because a lot of those players that he did take that they were relying upon never showed up on campus or were there for a couple of weeks and left. And it just left KU with this huge numbers situation where they're basically 24, 25 scholarships under the Division One limit. They're basically at an FCS school uh, level when it comes to scholarships. So, yeah, the build this time is much bigger than the other ones. And, again, it took – basically two different tenures, even though they were short, to, to put the program back this far. But they've got just as far to go as that first Mangino year. I, I would definitely say that's yeah, the case. Yeah, ma- massive fail at the, uh, with, with Charlie Weiss and the, the, the JUCO Express that, that he brought in. Okay, but it's, uh, but it's hoop season, and, um, and as we speak, uh, based on the results of the last two days, Kansas finds itself in first place in the Big 12, a game up on West Virginia – um, a couple of games up on the rest because of uh, their, their their season sweep of, of OU. So I, I guess if we had been doing this podcast a couple of weeks ago, I I don't know if I would have projected this. Maybe I'm more pessimistic than than most, but I, I thought Kansas was going into the week where they played West Virginia and OU, um, kind of I don't want to say backs to the wall, but. <clears throat> a little more pressure than I'm used to seeing with it with the Kansas team playing or having on their back going into a week, and they handled it beautifully with the solid win over West Virginia, and then then going out to Oklahoma and, and pulling that one out. I don't know what you what would you think of this Kansas the prospects of Kansas not only being in the lead, but now you've got to consider them the favorite uh, to to win their 12th straight. Yeah, it's amazing. I posted a blog online. Uh, those who follow me know that. Big guy into the numbers, the advanced stats, and uh, contacted Ken Pomeroy. And actually did it three weeks ago for the Cap Journal and had him run his numbers. What are the odds that KU wins or shares the Big 12 title? And that was when they started 5-3, and three, had just lost at Iowa State. And the odds then were 10%. So you're thinking 10% to win or share the Big 12 title. This isn't going to happen. It's going to be the first time this is not the KU team to win it. I had him redo the numbers today. 75% for KU. So in the span of three weeks, KU has completely flipped its fortunes. And it's exactly what you're talking about, Blair. 
Every single year this happens where it comes down the stretch where KU needs to win games and Big 12 teams need to show that they aren't going to falter down the stretch. And it just exactly happens. You know, Bill Self pulls the rabbit out of his hat and they go down. At Oklahoma, you know, a few weeks ago, I guess that KU was going to be a 7, 8, 9 point underdog and they go down there as a 4 or 5 point underdog. And just like other other teams of the past, there's somebody that comes out of the woodwork who you have no idea it's coming, and they have a career game. You know, you think about Elijah Johnson back against Iowa State. He goes off for crazy amounts, and they win in overtime, and that's the game that wins in the league. Uh, you know, even a game uh, Ben McLemore banks in a three that, against, that, that Iowa should, State. against yeah. Iowa State. They shouldn't have made. He shouldn't have made it. He missed the shot by four feet, and it goes in. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have. Landon Lucas coming along and, and get pulling down whatever it was, 16 or 18 rebounds against, West, the Commerce, Virginia. against West Virginia. And then you have Vontae Graham out of nowhere basically carrying KU not only defensively but offensively. And it's just amazing. It's amazing how many of these performances, if you just went back down the line, that has saved this conference streak for KU. And again, it appears to happen again. Landon Lucas a couple weeks ago had said, he goes, I'm interested to see what happens because this is where the championships are won. These are the important games that happen where teams come out and win these sort of championships. And sure enough, Bill Self and, and Landon Lucas and Devontae Graham and guys you wouldn't have thought of two weeks ago came out, and it looks like they're going to help KU win a 12th consecutive Big 12. They're, def- they're definitely in the driver's seat now. I, I still think Saturday's game at Kansas State is, is really big. First of all, Kansas is they've lost uh, there for the past two years. But before we, before we get there, let's – you know, besides the, 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 the different – player stepping up uh, seemingly for a different game. I'll go back to Wayne Selden against Kentucky. Um, wh- what else has gone right for Kansas during this it's, it's six-game winning streak now? Yes. What, what what are they doing now that, that you didn't see them doing when they were losing three out of five? That's a great question. I think obviously Lucas is a big part of it, just yeah, solidifying that five spot. We've seen a different level of production from him in the last few weeks, and obviously the rebounding is off the charts for him. He's a big body. He can do that sort of thing. He knows the plays, and we've seen a little bit more of the rim protection for him, which is something that he didn't provide, which I think that was kind of the scary part about going in with Landon Lucas is that you knew that that was kind of the part of the game that he wasn't going to give you, and, and maybe a guy like Check Diallo or Hunter Mickelson could. So him stabilizing the five positions has been a big thing and getting some scoring out of him. I mean, whatever it is, if it's an easy bucket of game or getting to the free throw line and making his free throws, that sort of thing. Devontae Graham has been on a different level as well. I mean, I could pull up his Big 12 numbers as well. I know going into last game, he was shooting 50% from two, 49% from three, and 82% from the free throw line in Big 12 play, which... It's, it's incredible. I mean, it's, it's huge. I mean, it's almost... it's He doesn't shoot as often as Buddy Heald, but it's kind of the crazy sort of percentages that you look at with Buddy Heald. So the emergence of those two guys has been huge. And then defensively, KU's just kind of gotten back to what it's been. If you look this whole season at the numbers, the advanced stats, they hadn't been that elite defensive team that Bill Self has always right. put out there. And right. and again, sometimes I look at it, and I don't know how they're doing it lately. I, I don't know how they're limiting these, these two-point shots from other teams. I don't know how they're keeping uh, teams from making a bunch of twos without the true shot blocker that they normally have. But however it's worked, whether it's a better scouting report defense or, or these guards having fresher legs, which it definitely appears to be the case, uh, they've managed to coax it together where they've been better defensively than what they were. So a, a mixture of those things all together. And then again, some timely performances, Selden and Graham and Lucas when you need it. And uh, once again, this KU team, like you said, looks like the team to beat in the Big 12. I would have thought that if Kansas was going to win six in a row after that Iowa State loss, that maybe you'd have Selden averaging 25 during that stretch or Perry Ellis averaging 22 and 12. But that really hasn't been the case. It, it hasn't been those two guys 
the guys who you, you thought going into the season where they're they're surefire all-conference performers. I still think Perry Ellis, when it's all said and done, will be the, the most honored Kansas player. I, he'll, he'll be on the all-conference team and whatnot. But this hasn't been a, a Selden and Ellis-led resurgence for them. It's, it is, like, as you said, it is everybody else. I think Frank Mason's been very steady throughout the whole the, the entire time. Um, they're getting contributions from the bench, not necessarily, you know, big games off the bench from a, you know, from a Sheck Diallo or, or Jamari Trailer uh, or Svi, uh, Mikhailuk. Uh, but, but when they do get the contributions off the bench, they're, they're pretty useful. I mean, they're not, they're not losing much, I, I think, when they, when they play their rotation. I, I don't know if this is a Kansas team that's going to, you know, to use that rotation the way they have in the past and play – Eight or nine guys, you know, um, pretty pretty constantly. I, I think the starting five. You, you correct me if I'm wrong. He's pretty comfortable with this group that he's is pretty primary group. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day if the over under on how many games Lucas won't start the rest of the way, and I said probably point five. I mean, right, you have right. to assume Bill Self. It's funny at, at a base level, this guy. You know, he knows the numbers, he knows the stats, he he he. Is such a smart guy could could do a million different things out there could be a great politician could be a great fundraiser I mean could do so many things but very superstitious at a base level so you saw like Hunter Mickelson keep getting starts even when he was playing four or five minutes a game right, right. but it was because KU kept winning like Bill Self didn't oh, want you to don't mess, mess with that you don't want to mess with the mojo I mean it's it's funny I always get the new beat reporters ask me because we on on non press conference days we talk to players inside the media room and then for Bill Self we go outside on a on a hallway kind of kind of right. next to the tunnel and people well why why do we all get up why do we all move outside it's because Bill Self is superstitious he he thinks they win more when he's up against the wall so it's funny when you bring that up just because yeah I think that he has found something in this that helps him out and I would definitely believe that this rotation is going to be. Uh, the starting lineup he moves going forward the rest of the way. Something else not to be overlooked is that Landon Lucas is very good with tips, and KU had been pretty bad early on in, in winning tips, and for Bill Self knowing him with 50-50 balls and extra possessions and stealing possessions, that ends up being a big deal for him. I mean, two-for-ones at the end of the half, those extra sort of tiny things to other coaches are very big deals to him, so Landon Lucas being good in that area is something else to look at, another reason he could start and, and kind of keep that role. So this week, um, Kansas goes to Manhattan in first place by itself. And uh, I, I actually thought Kansas State, when they played earlier <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago in Lawrence, the K-State came out with a pretty good game plan. And as I recall, started both halves really well, <clears throat> which goes against the, the trend of, of <laughs> Kansas State playing at, at Allen Fieldhouse. <clears throat> Usually that thing is, what, 12-2 to 2 with the first media timeout. That's always the, the talk is, yeah, they lose it before the first media timeout. And in this case, I remember it seems like it was 4-3 to three, about seven minutes into the game. I was really impressed with what K-State was trying to do. And then when Kansas got the, the lead at halftime, K-State cut into it early in the second half. And it was – you know, it wasn't until um, you know late in the game that uh, that Kansas uh, put it away. Of course, that was also the game where they won by 18 and not 16. And, uh, <laughs> and that last basket uh, caused a little bit of a you know a consternation by on the Kansas side with Brandon Green's dunk at the end. But anyway, uh, it's it's kind of a danger game, isn't it for for Kansas? There's K State will be coming off a win uh, at TCU, breaking its its uh, Big 12 uh, losing road losing streak. And um, uh, I think it's a game Kansas should win, but I don't. I don't count it automatically as a KU win here. No, I think the spread will be somewhere in the three to five point range. Uh, the thing about K State, which is so fascinating to me, again, just being kind of a numbers guy, I, I, I hear people talk about maybe Bruce Weber being on the hot seat or, or what they should do with him, and 
the thing is, it, one of the things that you look at, and again, I know this is maybe a little bit out there for some people because it's kind of like the Pakoda way of thinking like, hey, you're, you're more your underlying numbers than you are your numbers, and sometimes things are based on luck. But this K-State team is almost identical to the team two years ago that was a nine seed in the tournament. The difference is that they have lost every single close game that they played in. To good, to good teams. To good all, te- all to good teams. To good teams in the Big 12. I mean, you know, looking at some of these uh, Ken Palm numbers, they were 129th in offense and 18th in defense two years ago. This year they're 143rd in offense and 9th in defense. I mean, it's basically the same team when you're looking at it from that standpoint. But, again, you wouldn't know that because they've had some bad breaks go against them. And, and you would hope one of these double overtime games that the other team would just bounce the ball off their foot out of bounds and you would win one of these close games that you could have won. So that makes K-State a dangerous team. The other thing that makes them dangerous, we know college basketball has the greatest home court advantage of basically any sport just because officials are affected by crowd and that affects the free throws and that can change a game over. K-State offensively has struggled so much. Shooting the ball has struggled so much with turnovers. But the one thing they can do, they can offensive rebound and they can get to the free throw line. And getting to the free throw line has been something that KU's defense has had problems with. They've fouled guys, and they have guys that have fouled. So that does make this a danger game for KU going in there. You know, K-State is a team defensively that, again, I just mentioned, has been a top-10 team defensively. If you look at the numbers, I think they can do a good job of forcing KU into the mid-range, taking some tough shots. But the question with the Wildcats is always going to be offense. Can they get the offensive rebounds, get to the foul line? And the answer could be more than likely yes, especially when you're playing a game at Bramlage Coliseum. You know, Kansas won, I think this is right, 24 straight games at Bram- Bramlage Coliseum yep. until the Michael Beasley K-State team ended that streak. And they, uh, and I, m- I remember uh, Jacob Pullen had a huge game, I think in 2011, or I think it was 2011, and so K-State won that. But they've now won two in a row, and so that, if you count the 2011 game, but three of the last four, four whatever it is, it's a, <clears throat> they've reversed the trend. Yeah. And, and now... I, I do look at it differently when Kansas goes to Bramish. You know, Kansas has that game and then at uh, Baylor and at Texas. Those are the three road games remaining for, for Kansas. I, 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 you know, they'll be favored against Kansas State. I, the way Texas is playing now. Might not be. <laughs> yeah, and, and Baylor picked up a great home win over Iowa State last night. I, I think Baylor is always a dangerous team in Waco. Kansas seems to find a way to win there. But I, I think this is a big game for Kansas. I, I, I would – if Kansas wins Saturday, I feel pretty confident about them going on to win the Big 12. If they lose Saturday, I'm not so sure at that point. West Virginia is still tough to me. You know, Texas uh, is a two games out. Texas is playing really well right now. Texas has just beat West Virginia at home, has the Jayhawks coming in. Uh, if Kansas stumbles somewhere, you know, if they lose this and lose to Texas and Texas wins out, and there's all sorts of ways. I, I keep hearing uh, – Mostly from fans who are fans of Missouri or Kansas State, just just dismissing the whole idea of a Big Twelve race. It's uh, Kansas; it's already won it, and you know what else is new. But I, I do see some potential pitfalls for Kansas here. I I don't think that this is not a Kansas team that has a superstar type player that can just lift them up and carry them to a win at, at, at a danger time. They've got a lot of good players. In fact, Bill Self said this at his press conference, or it was maybe his post game the other day press conference. I don't remember. Somebody asked him. What would it mean to win a 12th? And, and I thought this was kind of revealing on his part. He said it might be the nice, the, the best one because we don't have the lottery pick player. We don't have Wiggins. Kelly Oubre was a lottery pick. They've had a lottery pick each of the last five or six years. They don't have that player this year. If they do end up winning their 12th, it, I can see where this would be a, you know, could, could pretty, pretty high on the satisfaction level for Bill Self. But I, anyway, long way of saying, I, I don't think this is a done deal for Kansas. No, I don't think so either. And again, like the Pomeroy numbers said, you know, three and four is probably about the right place to put it. But 
You mentioned those three games uh, at K-State, at Baylor, at Texas. I mean, the math's pretty simple for KU. You, you figure they're probably going to win at home against Texas Tech, and Iowa State can be a tough team to play downfield as we've seen in years past, but again, you're going to probably assume those two are victories. If KU loses one of those remaining three on the road, the most they can get to is four losses, and the, if you get to four losses, you're tied with West Virginia even if they run the table. So again, the math is pretty simple there. If KU wins two of those three coin flip games on the road and then takes care of business at home like they have in other years, it's, it's theirs. It's theirs. They've got it. But exactly what you said, if you lose that first game to K-State, then you've got two tough road games remaining with the coin flip games, and then you kind of peer down the line at Iowa State and think, ooh, that's that's kind of a tougher game as well. Again, we talk so much about momentum. It, it's kind of the, the, all the momentum has shifted over to now everybody's saying, hey, this is Kansas is to lose. You lose at K-State, it starts to kind of open up those questions again where you think, okay, well, this is not over yet. And West Virginia, to be honest with you, I was looking at their remaining schedule. Not easy, but probably favored in all the games remaining, too. I mean, you probably wouldn't expect them to win all of them, but at home against Oklahoma, probably favored. You know, at home against Iowa State, definitely favored. At Oklahoma State, you know, we've seen teams have trouble there, but not recently. We've seen, seen one team have trouble there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've seen one team have trouble there. Uh, at home against Texas Tech, and then at Baylor. At Baylor's probably the toughest game out of those five. And again, once you get down to that stretch, do you want to be KU sitting there needing a win and a loss or, or whatever at that point? So I agree with you. This is a very important game for KU just for the sense of maybe keeping everybody in the mindset that this is Kansas is to lose. And, and again, when we talk about in three weeks going from a 10% chance to winning it to a 75% chance to winning it, not only does KU have to play well, the other teams have to come back to the pack. And I think we've seen that. And it seems like as these races come down the stretch, we see teams kind of fall in their natural order. And KU rises the occasion. And these other Big 12 teams that could win it start to falter. So Anything for KU to keep perpetuating that sort of mindset, I think, is a positive for them. You know, we'll talk more about this uh, toward the end of the season, but is this a Kansas team that's built for a March run? Uh, we probably might have said yes each of the last couple of years, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they didn't get to the second weekend. Is there something about the way this team is constructed? I <clears throat> I, I, I talked to Fran show a little bit before the game, and he mentioned uh, he, he lumped Kansas in with Villanova and Oklahoma as teams that – shoot the ball well enough to win the whole thing and are vulnerable because of their shooting to lose on the first weekend. Um, I, I think that's right. I think they can shoot their way to a lot of success and to a second-round exit. Yeah, well, I guess here's the positive for KU fans. If you're looking back in history, when has Bill Self had his most tournament success? It's with experienced teams. A absolutely. That, that's a good. That's a really and good point. That. Yeah, yeah, and and this is absolutely an experience. There's also I mean, the uh, defensive numbers too, which I you were mentioning. Yeah, the, uh, not, there is there not, is that trend. Yeah, not with that, but but if we do look at experience, I mean, look at the last couple of years. It, it hasn't been experienced teams. I mean, he has inserted freshmen that are talented in the starting lineup, and even going to Landon Lucas is almost like a symbolic going even more with his experience because. Uh, you know, this team now is like not only playing Wayne Selden, Frank Mason, Perry Ellis, you know, all those guys that have already played, but now he's inserting a guy um, in Landon Lucas in there that also has been here for four years. And, you know, Ken Palm does a, a, a stat, lineup continuity, if you're looking at that. You know, how, how many of your minutes this year have come from your players last year? Kind of a fascinating thing. And KU's ranked ninth this year. Ninth out of 350-plus teams. So, again, if you're looking back at 2008, who made the run? Experienced team. 2012, who made the run? Tyson Taylor, Thomas Robinson, experienced team. So this is the most experienced team by far he's had since then. That would be the positive. Again, the negative is just kind of like you said, Blair, I think the inconsistency night to night with players that are not named Perry Ellis. I mean, 
do we know what Demonte Graham is going to get? I mean, for Big 12 play, he's been great, but like, are you expecting him to be your, your lead guard now that Frank Mason has tapered off just a little bit in Big 12 play with whatever nagging injuries he has? I don't know. I mean, Wayne Selden is a complete enigma. I mean, the guy goes for 33 against Kentucky and then doesn't go for more than seven for four straight games. So, I, I, again, I just think night to night you're not sure what you're going to get. And then going back to Chris's point, which is this is a good defensive team. But for Bill's self-standards, it's not a great defensive team. And it doesn't have that rim protector that you can rely upon every single game to turn away two-point shots. So that would be the concern, I think, going forward, is that this defensive team is not built like many of Bill Self's others. And when we've seen KU grind out victories against NC States and Ohio States in the tournament and win those sorts of games, obviously we know how much Bill Self loves to get those guys defensively and to win those grinded-out games. That's where we've seen them have success. And this team might have to just rely more on offense. And, and that's kind of the question you brought up with Fran Fraschella. This team might have to rely more on shooting and executing and Perry Ellis and that sort of thing. And um, again, I, it's not a, a method that has proven to not work. It's just not something that we've seen with Bill Self's team of the past that haven't had that same sort of dominant defensive team in there. I, I don't know. I, of, of the best teams in the country right now, I don't know who is a, a a dominant defensive team. That's just Good not point. the way college basketball is, is being played this year because mainly because of the rule changes. And, um, you know, it's there, there's, <clears throat> I, I think Kansas is actually pretty well equipped uh, to, to play by the new rules of college basketball. They're shooting free throws at a pretty good clip. They're certainly shooting the, the three pointer at a, at a great rate. Uh, um, still over 40% as a team, even in big 12 play. I think they went into the week this last weekend in the top five nationally mm-hmm. in three point shooting. So I'll tell you one thing I've seen about this Kansas team that I haven't seen in a while is how, how well they move the ball, how, how crisply the ball goes from side to side. And um, there's just, there just seems to be great ball movement. It's still a team that turns the ball over too much. I, that's something that I – team that starts two point guards and three guards all together, and they turn it over way too often for a team like that. But – they do get the ball in, in – they, they get Selden open. They get Graham open. And even – I thought this was this was really interesting, a play that happened in the Oklahoma State game where Carlton Bragg was in the right place at the right time for a steal. He leads a two-on-one break with Mason. And Bragg is on the right side of the court. Mason fans out to the left side. Mm-hmm. Bragg throws a one-hop bounce pass across the court. Mason steps back behind the three-point line, sets his feet, shoots, hits his only three-pointer of the night. That's usually a, that's a two-on-one break that ends in a dunk layup sort of thing. But Kansas actually chose to, to fan it out and shoot a three-pointer on that. That, to me, is what this team is all about. They, they, they get their off. A lot of their offense comes from behind the perimeter. I also think there's a law of average thing with this Kansas team. They, they, they don't have three bad NCAA tournaments in a row. Yeah, you they've, would think. They've had a couple, and they, it seems to be the history of Kansas. They they underachieve for a couple years. That becomes a trend. It happened under Roy, and 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 it's happening now. And then they bust out. And I, I think they're – I actually think they're ready to have a good run in, in March. We'll have to see. I don't necessarily think they win the Big 12 tournament this year. Uh, there's too many good teams. I mean, if Kansas finishes first in the Big 12 – you can see in Oklahoma, West Virginia, Baylor, somebody coming in with a lot more motivation than Kansas and not winning this thing. Iowa State, has, have they won the last two? But for March, I think maybe this is a year Kansas gets to, gets to the second weekend and we'll see what they go from there. But, again, a lot, plenty of time to talk about that going forward, and, and uh, we'll spend some more time talking about not only the chances of KU but other Big 12 teams in the NCAA tournament. But I think we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I, I want you to – well, Jesse, welcome again to the to the Kansas City Star. Chris, thanks for spinning the dials today. And 
Follow Jesse's coverage of the Kansas Jayhawks in the print editions of the Kansas City Star online at KansasCity.com. And, and your Twitter handle is? It is Jesse Newell. I try to make it as simple as possible. And I want to thank you guys for being here because uh, you led me up here to the podcast room. And if you guys weren't here and left me here, I might never make it way, my way out of the building. So um, I appreciate you leading me back down to the sports department or the street or anywhere because otherwise I, it might take me a while. This is the, uh, what was this building open? 1920-something, 19 Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty old, but the, it's the building of Ernest Hanley. Way back when. So, uh, again, Jesse, Chris, thanks a lot. Take care, guys.